Hello, and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Episodes in this season are made possible by a grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which is dedicated to bettering the lives of those affected by depression. We are solely responsible for podcast content. Hi, Terry. Hi, Bridget. In last week's episode called Crisis Lines Save Lives, we introduced you to Corinne Pertil, a woman who never thought that she'd be calling a suicide prevention line in crisis, but now credits it for saving her life. (laughs) Corinne shared how during her second pregnancy, her depression took her to a place she had never been and convinced her of its most devious lie that her loved ones would be better off without her. Gosh, it's Mm. so cunning in Mm. that way. Mm. Mm. Before she followed through with her planned suicide, something stopped her. Sobbing, she dialed 1-800-273-TALK and was told to head to a nearby hospital and ask for help for a psychological emergency. Corinne was treated, her healthy son was born in an induced labor, and she is just now starting to share her story of recovery in hopes of helping others who are in that dark, isolated, despondent place that she was just a couple of years ago. We continue our conversation with Corinne from what is now a healthy, big-picture perspective of depression, something that's only possible after you've climbed out of depression's pit and found some ways to manage and live with the illness. Corinne says we need to talk about getting out of those heavy, hopeless places so that others can hear and believe that the bottom does not have to be the end. Exactly, exactly. And I know how helpful it was to me during my own recovery to later be reading things written by people who I think are bright and funny and competent and, um, you know, successful in their various ways. Um, and when somebody was willing to acknowledge either in passing or in more detail of like, yeah, it's my life. And also I, I live with depression as well. Like this is my life. And also I seek regular treatment for anxiety or another health condition. I found it so helpful. I found it so inspiring. It made me feel less alone. It made me feel like, um, it was possible to have a full, healthy, happy life, um, and still have this. Um, it, it showed me it was possible to still be, you, you can still laugh at things. You can still be funny and have depression. Corinne asks, what if there were stories of people having heart attacks, but none about surviving one? What if we talked about people getting diagnosed from cancer, but never discussed the possibility of remission? How much easier it would be to assume that once you've stepped over a certain line, there's no coming back. To know otherwise and to refuse to share it seems irresponsible, she writes. And given how fortunate I was in having help when I needed it, 
given those privileges, it also um, seems fair to step up and and be willing to oh, to add to that group that says, hey, this can this can be a part of your life, and you can get so much better. You can get so much better. You can live such a healthier life. Um, you know, you don't have to fear it. You don't have to hate that part of yourself. It it can just be a part of who you are that is cared for and treated like anything else. And you can, you can still be you in the best, in all the best senses of that. Corinne's best self requires self-care, self-awareness, and a set of tools that she knows work to keep her safe, including what she calls a scale she learned about from a behavioral therapist she saw. Kind of like the code yellow, orange, and red assessing risk at airports. So we mapped out this thing. It was a physical piece of paper that I still have. And it said, okay, if one is a great day and 10 is your, you know, calling the hotline on the phone in your car, um, what do you do? Not when you're at the end of that far end of the scale, but as you start to feel things sliding from three to four to five, what steps do you start to take? Um, and that I found so incredibly helpful because as with pretty much all health conditions, it, things often are much harder to treat when they present themselves in the emergency stage. If, you know, prevention and sort of early interventions are, are often kind of your best, you know, your best investment there. When Corinne finds herself sliding up that mental health scale, she does a list of things to stay safe. So, okay, first thing is make a therapy appointment. There is a, if there's one already, it's time to call make the appointment. I have to tell my husband because I, he has to know. And if I start getting in that space of like, oh, I don't want anyone to know that this is going on, then that's, that's going to just push things farther down. Um, I get some exercise, which like to, you know, to clarify, exercise is not alone a, uh, a lasting cure for <laughs> mental, for mental health problems, but it does assist in, uh, you know, releasing those endorphins. Um, you know, I do my best to make sure that I can get some sleep to, you know, go to bed early, kind of like you would if you try, think you're trying to fend off a cold. Um, I meditate because that calms me down. And then she calls a relative who has also experienced depression and understands the need for connection, empathy, and non-judgmental listening. And so I call her and she's the other person I say, I make sure I say, hey, this is, this is going on, just so you know. And, I say, and I, she knows about, and I, sometimes I'll just say like, I'm doing my steps, this is my step, I got to call you. And she's like, okay, cool. We just like sit on the phone and, you know, and I've promised myself I will make those calls even if... I'm starting to think, oh, it's, they don't want to hear it. Oh, I'm bothering them. It's like, these are two people who have already promised me on a good day, like, hey, it's worth it to us to, to take your call. And that scale of one to 10, as you say, it is, it is a similar thing for any illness because, you know, I had pneumonia last year and, you know, you went from, oh, you know, I don't feel real well to, oh, I've got a cough to this cough just isn't going away to, I think this is something different. Right, and and it, right. we need to just sort of understand people say, how do you know the difference between depression? I say, how do you know the difference between a sore throat and strep? You know, you get to a point where you think this is worse right. and you go to the doctor. We have never really taught that or been taught that in terms of mental health where you just go, this is different. I'm not just sad. I'm not just pissed. I'm not just or whatever negative emotion you're feeling. It's like, I'm thinking about dying you know, that's different. Right. It's different. It's starting to interfere with your other activities. And I think that that's the, you know, 
a, a sense of heaviness um, that just isn't going away um, mm-hmm. is it is an is a different thing. Um, you know, any a cough that's there for a week is not a crisis necessarily. A cough that's there for a month or two is probably at least worth talking to somebody about moods and feelings are a natural part of being a human being. Um, the goal is not to get to some like state of eternal bliss in which there is no sadness. Like that's just you, that's just life. But when the down, you just seem stuck in the down part without being able to logically say why you might be there. It's just, it's just time to time to check in on that. It's just time. It's time to ask just like, Mm -hmm. you know, like any other health condition, if you leave it to the emergency stage, it's just, it's, it's harder. It's not impossible, but it's just, it's just harder to, it's harder to, to feel as good as you would like to feel again quickly. And you suffered longer than you needed to before you reached out. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what I'm calling the lifeline in itself that alone is not, will not cure depression. It's just that it's almost like the paddles. I feel like to kind of like shock you back to life. Like it's, um, it's the, it's sort of this like inner intervention, emergency intervention that gets, that just shoves you back onto the path Hmm. through which you can get help. Um, and if you just feel like you're in a place where you can't even Mm -hmm. like, can't even get to the point where you can take the steps forward and seek care, having that emergency intervention at the right time can just be an incredible gift. Um, you know, it's what it's there for. I interviewed the executive director of the lifeline and he was explaining that if you are just not alone for that moment that you get through the moment and then the next moment and then the next moment and something shifts and something shifted enough in you that you could put your car back into drive and, you know, wipe your eyes enough to see clearly and get to the hospital. And, you know, that wasn't a huge shift. Your life was not, you know, as you say, happy and blissful and, you know, uh, riding a horse in slow motion on the beach or anything, but you could do it. You could take the next step and that next step led to getting help. Mm -hmm. So many people, both strangers and people in my life have said, this is part of my life too. And I don't, and I haven't been able to talk about it. And why, why, why do we have to all sit alone with it? Again, it's, it's, it can be a private thing. You don't have to share every detail with, with every stranger you meet, but why did we all decide that this, we're not going to, um, you know, we're not going to be honest about it. We're not going to give each other the, the gift of saying, this has been part of my life. And so if it's part of your life too, I will be empathetic and compassionate towards you because I understand, or because it's been part of, you know, it's been part of my loved one's life. Um, this is, you're not alone. Um, there's, there's just no good reason why we should, why we should sit alone with that. Um, there's just no good reason. I agree. I agree. It, it, I, I've heard it described as we're all keeping the same secret from each other. It, it, that is, it, it's absolutely true. Um, it just it feels so much better to say it out loud or at least, yeah, to not have to keep the secret. To not have to keep a secret. I don't know why it has to be a secret. And I love the way she said the gift of saying this has been exactly. a part of my life. What a too. reframe. Right. Right. The gift of sharing your experience with someone so they know what's going on. And, you know, I mean, it. it wow, that's a big reframe. Yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and the article, which is how we first learned of Corinne, uh, was mm-hmm. called Suicide Hotlines Really Do Save Lives, I Know Because One Saved Mine, and we will link to it, but you can see why. We definitely wanted to talk to her and just get some of this uh, perspective and, as you call it, reframing. Yeah, and I love how she was saying, you know, if we're, uh, 
able to to catch it when it's a three or a four or a five, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's easier to take some proactive steps and maybe kind of change the course. A metaphor that I've always liked is the GPS on a boat. And, you know, if you're looking at the GPS often, in other words, checking in often, then the correction's smaller, Hmm. you know, but if you don't look or you don't check in, then all of a sudden it takes a whole lot more energy and the job's a lot bigger to get you back on course. Yeah, then iceberg. She also said few problems thrive in silence, isolation and shame. And, um, you know, that should be like tattooed someplace because that's what all mental health issues are. So, again, we'll say the 800 number in the U.S. is 800-273-TALK or 8255, 800-273-8255. If you prefer texting and some people do, it's 741741. Maybe that can be their new three-digit code, Terry. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking of 811 because something about the eight, the two circles above each other and the, the brain, the, the mind being somewhat separated from the body. You know, in my mind, I was thinking of 811. But anyway, nobody asked me. <laughs> Nobody's asking for... You see it as separated. I see it as continuous. It's like, you know, infinity. Interesting. Well, yes, but it would be a line for mental health. So that top circle, you know, was being identified as as important as that bottom circle. So, yeah. They can call us if they want more information. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. So thank you again to Corinne uh, for sharing her story with us and for sharing really good advice on how to stay ahead of a crisis and get the care you need when you need it. Absolutely. And let's honor Corinne's bravery by sharing the gift of our experience with somebody. Very nice. Thank you, Bridget, for sharing uh, the gift of your experience and your voice and your sisterhood with me. Mm, I love you so much, Terry. Bye. Love you too, sweetie. Bye-bye. We hope that these shared stories bring out a little more understanding or help people articulate their experiences of depression a little more clearly or more freely. Thanks to all, everyone who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. You can find all the other episodes, some resources, and a blog on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And you can find the podcast most of the other places that you find podcasts. Just Google it, as our mom says. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.